Welcome back into the pickle jar. This is Jill, your host, and thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Today's episode is our friend Michelle sharing with us her journey with Addison's disease. She has some amazing tips and advice and reminders for all of us living with Addison's disease because Michelle has lived an active life with Addison's disease for over 30 years. And I am so grateful that Michelle reached out to share her story with us. So again, Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today. And I look forward to sharing your journey and your story with our listeners today. All right, let's get started, Michelle, by you sharing a little bit with our Pickle Jar family about yourself. Hi, thanks, Jill. My name is Michelle Elliott, and I live in a smallish town outside of Toronto, Ontario. And I've had Addison's disease since 1990. I work full time. I have a family. And um, I'm just really happy to be here and to share a little bit about my experience with Addison's disease since I seem like I might be a bit of a pro because I've had it for so long. You know, I think that's absolutely wonderful that you're here today because um, I think it's especially important for people that are newly diagnosed with Addison's disease to hear from somebody that they can live healthy, active lives and meaningful lives. Um, Because, you know, as we know, when we're first diagnosed, it's, you know, you're unsure of what your future is going to look like. So it's, it's um, wonderful to have you here to have your knowledge to share with us today. So I really greatly appreciate it. So is that what kind of intrigued you then about coming onto the podcast today? It, it really did, because when I was diagnosed in 1990, there was no internet and there was very little access to information. And my experience when I was diagnosed, although I was super grateful, obviously, to get a diagnosis, I remember my endocrinologist, who was wonderful, he thought a great way to educate me on the disease was to have a fellow Addisonian patient come to the hospital where I was and chat with me about her experience. But it was actually awful because she was extremely negative and she had vitiligo and which I and I do have a little bit of vitiligo on my skin, but it was just such a negative and scary experience. I um, I wish now in retrospect that I would have had access to more information. And I'm so happy now that people, when they get diagnosed these days, they have access to all sorts of information, good or bad, on the internet that I didn't have. So I'm hoping just by sharing a little bit about my experience, if somebody can relate to it or maybe perhaps um, get a little bit of information to help them, you know, that would be great because I certainly didn't really have that. No, and you are exactly right with that. Like there's so many um, people being diagnosed today, we are very fortunate to have access to things like social media and different things like that. But even through this podcast, I'm still getting, um, the message is still very clear. So many people are still very isolated and that's why I'm so grateful that you've come on to share, um, because this podcast is reaching people and helping people to validate what they're going through and to help them on their journey. And, you know, looking back, you know, you've had Addison's disease for over 30 years how beneficial that could be for someone like that could be life changing. So thank you very much. So, um, so you mentioned your journey began back in 1990, you were 27 years old um, and things started to change with your health and you knew something you were 27, you were experiencing things that you knew that were not normal. So why don't we start with that? And you tell us what kind of progressed from there and how you became, you found out that you were diagnosed with Addison's disease. Well, initially, when a uh, weird thing started happening with my health, I knew right away there was something not right. I was very aware that I was only 27. I was young. I was not supposed to feel this way. 
but it was getting, you know, the diagnosis and support from the doctors. That was the struggle, you know, the, the struggle for me. In January of 1990, my skin started to turn brown in the middle of the winter. I was getting moles and I remember going to the doctor and her saying, oh, you must be tanning. You're going to a tanning bed. You've been away, which, you know, I'd done neither of those things. I was getting strange uh, pains in my legs. Um, couldn't, you know, she just said I should stop wearing high heels. There was just all sorts of insidious little um, uh, symptoms that were happening to me as I progressed through the year. I, I was up north at one point at a friend's cottage and I was out on a boat and the sun felt excruciating to me. It felt like it was zapping me of all my energy. I became incredibly weak and I had to get off the lake and go into the shade and I knew there was something wrong. And then I got strep throat that summer and that really exacerbated things. And I really went downhill quite quickly. I, I, I started getting the symptoms in January, was diagnosed in November of the same year. And up to probably three months before my diagnosis, I was getting extremely ill and I was losing a lot of weight. I was vomiting. I had gone off on sick leave at work. And the strange thing is, and, and really probably every other Addisonian patient can understand this, when you're in the throes of not feeling good, your mental clarity is just not there. And, and it's strange, but you almost feel like being sick has now become the new normal. So you forget that you're trying to get a, a diagnosis and trying to get help. You think, oh, maybe this is just the way my body is built, right? But as we all know, you know, we're pretty, we should be intuitive our, of our bodies and know when something's not right. So it really took me till I was gravely ill to get a diagnosis. I'd gone to a couple of family doctors, a couple of endocrinologists, um, and finally the last endocrinologist, I had an appointment with him in November and I was so ill. And he looked at me and he said, go lay down. He goes, I think I figured it out. You have something called Addison's disease. You're gravely ill. You need to go to emergency right now. So I was ferried to emergency. My blood pressure was 60 over 40. I was, I, you know, again, extremely ill. And, and right away they um, started, you know, intravenous corticosteroids. And as we all know, that's our lifeblood, right? That's the gasoline that runs our vehicles. So um, I convalesced at Wellesley Hospital in Toronto under the care of a really great um, endocrinologist, Dr. Volpe, who since passed away. And I was in hospital for two weeks and um, then released and off, off work for probably two or three months after that. So looking back, it sounds like you had some of the very um, classic symptoms of Addison's disease. You had the hyperpigmentation, you had extreme weight loss, you had the fatigue. Um, and it sounds like you were in the state that a lot of us went into that if you had something traumatic happen to you over the, that course, you probably wouldn't have been able to survive it. You wouldn't have had the adrenal function to support any trauma that was going to happen to your body. Um, now, how many... Up until diagnosed, you had seen an endocrinologist with these symptoms, correct? I had seen two. So the first one told me I was jaundiced, which was incorrect. It was not jaundiced, right? As we all know, it was the increased melanin. It was the bronzing and browning of the skin due to the um, increased the ACTH. ACTH. So um, yeah, I had seen two and three family doctors and I was trying literally to go to doctor from doctor to doctor trying to get some clarity on what was happening to me and and I was told you know I it was suggested I was perhaps an intravenous drug user I had had a, shared a dirty needle with someone I hadn't you know there's all these things because they couldn't figure it out and and in retrospect now had I had the internet back then 
I would have, because I'm, I'm an internet doctor, like a lot of us, right? I would have Googled my browning skin and right away, the first thing that would have come up was Addison's disease. I could have probably diagnosed myself in probably a minute. And it's unfortunate back then we didn't have access to that. And, and, you know, and I'm so glad that you brought up that they, you know, that the doctors had said that, you know, you were a drug user and all, because again, that's another thing that we hear so common with people being diagnosed that they're putting blame on something else because of the way we're acting because of the low cortisol and we're not. um, And like you said, (laughs) nowadays, how important it is to advocate for yourself, obviously for one thing. And we have the power of the internet to, yes, to, to Google ourselves and to try and figure out. And it just, it breaks my heart to hear you say that, you know, you could figure it out with the hyperpigmentation, but you had gone to a specialist, an endocrinologist that you put your, the trust into, to have the information to, when you had classic symptoms, um, it should have been, you know, the endocrinologist that finally diagnosed you, that should have been the initial reaction when they, they first looked at you, in my opinion, like you had the symptoms. And um, so it's very fortunate that you found an endocrinologist that was able to recognize all those, but it took you, like you said, it took you getting gravely ill. You were, I think you said you crawled into the endocrinologist. Pretty much. Pretty yeah. much right? You were so weak. And so, and weak. so weak. Um, so obviously I'm assuming once you started the steroids, you started to feel better. <laughs> you, it, you know, it, it's, it's truly moment? like putting, it's truly like putting, and you know, this cause you've had us disease, right? It's truly like putting gas in the yeah. tank of a car <laughs> when the car runs out of gas, it doesn't do anything. Right. Yeah. It's the same thing. You almost sit up in bed and go, you know, I'm healed. Yes. It's yes. The strangest yes. thing, right? <laughs> it is. So, no, you're right. It's an amazing, it's, it's, it is. And I think only us with Addison's disease can really know what it's like to go from this death state to all of a sudden feeling um, it's like a miracle happening in your body. It's, it really is. It really it is. It is. Yeah. And I was diagnosed too at the same time as um, I had Hashimoto's, which is autoimmune, right? Thyroid disorder. You know, when I, my, my immune system turned on myself, which, you know, killed my adrenal glands, you know, killed my, um, um, thyroid and i was actually also told that i probably couldn't have children because it had affected my ovaries as well but thankfully six months out of the hospital i managed to get pregnant and i and i gave birth to a you know full-term healthy daughter and and she's great and i feel like that's been such a such a blessing out of it because i at one point when i was diagnosed i was very unsure that i could have children so it's it so for me, that was an amazing miracle after just six months being out of the hospital. And then do you read, did you have any issues with your Addison's throughout the pregnancy in terms of, cause if it was just six months, obviously you're coming from a very ill state and now your body is producing a baby, <laughs> which is very stressful and a lot of work. Um, did you have any ups and downs throughout the pregnancy in terms of Addison's related? And I can't lie. I had an amazing pregnancy. I had put on so much weight previously when I was diagnosed with the Addison's they pumped me full of steroids and I was very high doses of steroids for a while and I put on a lot of weight and so when I got pregnant I I just felt like I couldn't gain any more weight so I actually like gained maybe not even 20 pounds I actually had an amazing pregnancy I felt great and um, the only thing you know during the pregnancy they had to monitor her through um, ultrasounds just to make sure there was no birth anomalies due to right the high doses of steroids so 
But other than that, no, it was great. I can't say that I had a bad experience at all. It was considering everything that had previously happened to me the you know, the previous year, I think I had an amazing pregnancy and birth. Oh, you know what? That's great to hear. Cause I know there's a lot of people probably listening to that are, you know, thinking about getting pregnant or concerned about it. And um, I mean, nothing's perfect, but it's always nice to hear a nice positive story that they do happen because it is, you know, it's always in the back of our minds with Addison's disease that we're not too sure what our bodies are going to do to us in a new situation. So, um, mm-hmm. so since your diagnosis, and so that would have been back in 1990, um, Tell us any significant moments from then in your journey in the last 30 years. Well, this is going to sound funny, but honestly, the advent of the internet, because all of a sudden I had access to all this really great information, right? That everybody else seemed to have when they got diagnosed. So that for me was a bit of a game changer because if I was feeling a certain way or I thought, oh, I don't feel so good today. What is this? I would Google it. I I actually learned so much about my disease and how to manage it and how to cope with it. When I got diagnosed, I remember when I was diagnosed, my endocrinologist saying, you know, if you don't feel well, double your steroids, triple your steroids. But somehow we had that conversation once and it didn't resonate with me. So when I got out of the hospital over the years, I had been sick a couple of times. It didn't occur to me to double my steroids until I got this Internet and I started researching and I, you know, learned a lot more about how to manage the disease. And I found just that education, that information, I became so much more aware of how to live a better quality of life with this disease. Right. So, so up until the internet, um, did you have a lot of lows with your Addison's disease or was for the most part, things were nice and steady for you? How would you describe? Yeah, I would say I had, I had probably the most uh, Addisonian crises during that period because and my and I'd go to the doctors, I'd be really sick. They go, Well, did you up your steroids? I'd go, Oh no, I forgot. And I just didn't it didn't resonate with me how important that was. I just did I, I you know, as again, I, I don't think I had all the information I needed, right? So um I mean other than that, I just really tried to after I was diagnosed and I was back on my feet, I all of a sudden I found myself, right. I had, I was pregnant. I had a baby. So I then became, you know, a busy mother working. I was not off a whole lot with my daughter. So all of a sudden then day to day, right. Life takes over. So the Addison's disease is not so forefront in my mind. It's sort of in the back of my mind. I'm still trying to manage it and everything else I have to do in my life because we're all busy people. Right. So I just tried to find ways to coping ways, right. To be able to manage everything that was on my plate successfully. No, and I think you're right. And earlier you mentioned too um, about how when we start not to feel well, how that becomes kind of normal. And I'm going to guess that probably what you went through in those first years, you probably slowly declined a little bit and you just didn't realize that was normal. And it's so easy for all of us as humans to say, oh, I'm a mother now, life's busy, I'm tired because of that, because people do get tired and people get worn out. But um, I always one thing that this podcast and connecting with so many people um, through the podcast and everything now, it just has reminded me how much my invisible illness also became invisible to me. And that's, what's great Mm -hmm. about the internet and these platforms now is that, like you said, we need those reminders of we need to updose and this illness is real and we need to have those coping mechanisms and we can't forget, (laughs) right? Cause it is easy for us to get wrapped up in life sometimes too. And that we have to try our best to stay, you know, two steps ahead of it. And um, we definitely, I know, I know personally, I need those reminders all the time. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. 
Um, so now one thing I think I've heard you talked about, like, you know, the internet and advocating and stuff like that. How important do you think it is, um, mindset is in dealing with having a chronic illness? Oh, I, I think that's 150% of the battle. I really do. Because like I said, when I was first diagnosed, I was introduced to another Addisonian. And I remember when she was telling me her tales of woe and how awful life was being an Addisonian. I, I remember thinking to myself, no way, I'm I'm not going to feel this way. I can't, I can't get on that train because I'm 27. I have a lot to live for. I, I have to figure this out. So for me, mindset every day, you, you know, I know it's, I know it's hard, but every day, you know, even when I have my bad days, I say, okay, Michelle, you know, you got to figure out something good today. You've got to move forward. You've got to figure out how to make this work. And, and you and I, when we talked earlier, we talked about the importance of exercise. And honestly, that's really become, uh, it's honestly, it's become the secret sauce for me in the last couple of years is as I've gotten older, you know, things hurt and things creak a little bit more, but exercises, it helped me incredibly keep that mindset, you know, you know, front and center in terms of, you know, it, it's going to be a good day today. Okay. So how are we going to make it a good day? Okay. Let's start out by exercising, right? I've got a really busy job, stressful job. These are the things I have to accomplish today, but it's important that I start the day out right. And that, you know, exercising and kind of those daily affirmations are really important to me because when you have, a chronic illness not every day is sunshine and roses most days I feel great I have to say but there's days I get up and I'm like wow I don't think I'm feeling good I'm not sure that you know how this is going to turn but I still have to you know get myself in that frame of mind that okay if I am going to slide and I'm going to have a crisis what do I need to do to take care of myself right so it's always putting I guess myself front and center and how I can manage this for myself in a positive way if there's a positive way to manage it right no, I think that's great advice because um, there's so many things that we can't control in our illness, but that's definitely something we can control. And there is that fine line with exercise and moving our bodies more and burning more cortisol, but um, but it definitely for our, our mental health. And my family doctor actually explained to me once that he honestly believes that because my adrenal glands don't work, that when I exercise that there's d different hormones now that can take over my body to make me feel better he's like mm. that just you know your your body's amazing and our body he thinks our bodies can adapt to compensate for what i can't produce he's like you're probably producing it in another way and that's why exercise helps you so much and it gives you that that feeling of being alive again right it's kind of mm -hmm. so um but no it's definitely it's definitely not an easy thing to get especially at the start of a journey and with highs and lows and if your your medication's not right um but it's definitely something that's worth the effort, right? It's worth the effort to work on that mindset and the movement and making time for it is, is definitely, definitely crucial. Um, I would like to go back um, since your diagnosis too, and I just give you an opportunity if there was anything else um, in those 30 years that have happened that are significant or that come to mind that you would like to share. Well, just that I, you know, I probably didn't advocate enough for myself at the very beginning when I was sick, even though I did try, um, you know, so you need to surround yourself, whether, you know, you're single or you're married or whatever, you know, loop your friends and loop your family to your situation, which I, I know I, when I was first diagnosed, there was this weird thing about, I was almost a little bit ashamed that I got sick. It sounds so strange because I didn't give myself this. It was just, you know, something that happened. 
but I didn't want to let anybody know that I was um, sick. And I, I didn't, I thought it would, you know, my boss might perceive it as a weakness. I was afraid of losing my job, lots of things around that. So, um, you know, talking about it and sharing it with people in your inner circle so they can help you and they can question you when you, you know, when you're not feeling good, you know, my family will say to me, okay, are you not feeling good or are you not really feeling good? Like we need to go to emerge and, and they will sort of second guess me because as you know, when we start to slide, our thinking is not, is very fuzzy and we think we're going to be okay. But sometimes it takes that, right. That trusted partner, people in your circle of friends to say, Hey, I actually think you're not okay. And kind of pick you up and take you to, you know, to emerge or call an ambulance. Right. So that, that is, was important to me to start letting people in and making them aware of what was going on with me. No. And I'm glad you shared that because I actually went through a thing on Friday night where I went so low and so fast that I refused to take my extra meds and I was very emotional and I had to have a conversation with my children afterwards saying, okay, this was a new situation and, and everything that you described, how you feel, you know, next time mom's got to go to the hospital and we need to advocate for that. So it sounds mm -hmm. like, if you could go back 30 years, probably the biggest. And the thing for you that's unique too, like you said, when you were diagnosed back in 1990 was, um, like you said, I'm going to guess it was probably more taboo to talk about things like that in the workplace. And you didn't know how people Definitely. respond. And you had that obstacle to get over. And, and now, you know, for people, you know, in 2023, there's a lot more awareness of that and a lot more acceptance and um, people talk and people are more open about stuff like that. And that's the way it should be. Right. And um, so that would have been a very challenging thing for you back then completely. So, um, so it sounds like if you could go back 30 years, you'd probably the best advice it sounds like from what you've said to give to yourself is just the advocating for your, for yourself and the mm -hmm. getting that positive mindset as fast as you could. And um and not letting yourself become invisible to yourself, right? Finding out what information you can, but obviously yeah. you had extremely limited resources um, yeah. back in 1990, but you obviously took advantage of them when they became available to you. Um, is there any resources that um, you haven't used, like um, that you have found that have been kind of detrimental to um, your journey? Well, I, I had joined some different, you know, social media groups for Addisonian patients. And I, I found early on and, and everybody's experience is unique to, to their own and no, no one's is right or wrong. But because I do try to keep the focus positive, I found sometimes there were people that did not have any joy in their life and could not find anything positive about life. And I, I had to exit those groups because, again, I, I it's, it's a daily choice for me to get up and go okay it's, it's going to be a great day even when it's not I'm going to figure this out right so you know I would just say it's, it's important to gather information and speak to people because everybody has different experiences but you need to be wary of um, people that sometimes won't find any joy or won't try and help themselves right and, and you can get really sucked into that vortex and it's it's not helpful right because we live with a you know we have a life-altering disease and it's important you know if you just want to always think about life is going to be awful and my life is terrible well it really will be so yeah for me it was just important to find my surround myself with people that were had some negative experiences of course but were somehow figuring out how to make it work for them too because I had to figure that out for myself right early on in 1990.
Right. And I think that's great advice because you're right. Like there's a, there's a time and a place for the Facebook groups. It's a great resources that we have, but often in those groups, um, you know, it's often a place that people are coming because they need advice and um, mm-hmm. they're having issues and it's just a constant stream. And if you, I found myself too, in the beginning, I was spending a little bit too much time in those groups and it was just, you know, everyone, I was taking on everyone's problems. Right. And um, you need to use those with discretion and, mm-hmm. And you, there are some really great Facebook groups out there with people with, you know, with Addison's that are athletes and different things like that. So mm-hmm. you always need to find, I think, what resonates with you, right? Mm-hmm. Right. If it's not working for you, it's okay to walk away from things. And mm-hmm. you know, so, um, so now let's go to, I have a few questions here for you, Michelle, that I'm going to ask you. And I just want you to answer them in a couple quick sentences, if you can. And let's see what you come up with. Um, so let's start with, um, what would you say is the, has been the most difficult part of this journey so far? Um, I would say probably realizing that, you know, around every corner, there could be potentially a dangerous situation for myself, whether that's traveling to a certain country where the water is not safe to drink, right? It limits travel. So for me, it's just, it's just, just kind of suck, right? That I have to kind of moderate my life a little bit and accommodate for the fact that I have this disease and I can get sick. So, I mean, that's just a kind of a feeling sorry for myself answer, but, but it's just that I have to maybe temper what I do in my life. Yeah, I think, and I think it's a, it's a reality check answer, right? That we need to plan ahead. Um, and if we plan ahead and look ahead of what the situations we're going, it is difficult because it's more work, but it's just, it's part of the reality of what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you feel it's changed your life, if at all? Other than planning, obviously, we just touched on that. It's You have to look ahead. You need to plan. You know, I I have to say, I, I you know, I don't know otherwise, right? Because I've had it since I was fairly young. And it's just maybe, yeah, maybe that awareness that I need to plan a little bit differently in my life. I just can't go off anywhere I want without, you know, my meds and things like that. But, you know, again, I really have tried to live somewhat of a normal life, you know, have a family and, a you know, a job and exercise and have friends and do social things. Right. So, you know, it, it, it's just it's just that I have to be careful. Right. That's that's probably the biggest thing that, you know, is maybe some other people don't think about when they go travel or eat somewhere at a restaurant or whatever. Now, if you don't mind me saying um, one thing, I think it how it's just from how I've gotten to know you and, and the conversations that we've had and the things that you've shared with us today. Um, I think it's given you an amazing outlook on life that you have this <clears throat> outlook on life. And you know what? I have to get up in the morning and I'm going to be a positive person and I'm going to exercise and I'm going to take care of myself. And I think that's, if we allow it, that's a beautiful gift that we can get from our illnesses because I can hear in the tone in your voice, how much you appreciate life and you appreciate every day. And, um, I mean, you can't put a price on that, right? So many people live their whole lives without understanding that. So um, I think that's how it, one of the ways, in my opinion, (laughs) if I can give it, how it's changed your life. I never thought of that, but thanks. You know, you're probably right right about that. Right. right about that. Some days I have these days where I'm like, you know what? This illness is actually, I think in some ways made my life better because, you know, Mm -hmm. I have a really good appreciation in life. And today I'm really thankful that I I feel really good today. Um, 
And a lot of people don't don't see that in their lives. And they have well, I got to and I got to meet you. And we get to meet great people. No, you're right. And and I've said it before on the podcast, like there's something there's something magical when you meet people and you can connect with an illness, right? When we can relate mm-hmm. that way, because it's a connection that you can't you can't put a price on that either, because we we know each other and understand each other on a very in-depth level that mm-hmm. that's very intimate and very personal, right? Like that we can't mm-hmm. share. So um so what would you say are your top coping mechanisms to deal with um everyday life? Because like I said, everyday life becomes everyday life to us. And I think we forget that we do things to cope every day because it just becomes normal for us. Yeah, that that's actually really true. You know, again, I go back to exercise, right? I, I remember when midpoint of me being diagnosed, I wasn't exercising. And, you know, my family was saying, you know, if you exercise, you felt better, you'd feel better. And I'd say, no, I'm too tired to exercise because as we know, Addisonians, right, we've got only so much in the tank. And then at the end, we, we tend to, we lose energy at the end of the day. And I remember my family saying, yeah, but if you exercise, you're, you'll feel better and you'll get more energy. And that never made sense to me until I started doing it, right? And then you realize, of course, that is the secret to it. The more you exercise, the more energy you have. So it's definitely, you know, exercising. And it's definitely knowing when, if I've had a really stressful week at work and a busy week, to dial it back on the weekend. And there's weekends I will spend on the couch watching Netflix because I know I've had a stressful week. I'm I'm exhausted. I'm fatigued. Maybe I haven't been sleeping really well. So that particular those particular two days, I'm just going to dial it back and just have a little me weekend and um, not exert myself too much. So it's really, and that took a long time for me to figure that out, right? Is to be self-aware enough to say, okay, you know what? I've had a really tough couple of days. Tomorrow, I'm just going to, you know, hang around the house and do nothing, right? So it's giving my, and also giving myself the permission to do that as well. Um, okay, so now Les, is there any three takeaway tips that you could give our audience today um, that you think they could start doing even tomorrow to improve their quality of life? Well, again, go back to exercise, right? Even a little bit every day, you know, you'll be amazed how great you feel. Um, educate yourself and educate those around you so you get support um, when you're not feeling well so people know what to do if you are going into a crisis you can teach them how to use the emergency injection kit that we should all have right Um, and also really listen closely to your body our body as I've learned through the years is always telling us something and if we listen to it that can provide a great source of information on how you're feeling you know what you need to do next how you need to take care of yourself that's really really important no that that is absolutely great advice um before we wrap up is there anything else that you could think of that you wanted to share with us today that maybe we've missed um not really other than just thank you so much for having this platform because I, I wish I had something like this when I was diagnosed so I could have learned about all the stories. So I think it's super educational and really valuable what you're doing. And I appreciate you, you know, giving me a chance to tell my story. And if anybody can, if anything resonates with somebody that might help them or, you know, give them some additional information they didn't have, then I think that's, uh, that's wonderful. So thank you very much, Jill, for, uh, for having me on your show. Well, thank you, Michelle, because I really, really appreciate it. And you're right. And the hopes of this podcast is that not only can people, you know, it validates the journeys that we are all on because all of our stories are different, but so similar. Um, But like you said, hopefully, you know, give some hope. You've had Addison's disease for over 30 years. You've had, you know, a normal, active, healthy life. 
And that's very inspiring for people. And you gave some great advice today. Like I know, I know I got to work on my couch days. (laughs) (laughs) Really, really bad. She goes hard all week and she just keeps going hard. And, and, um, but I really like, like you said about advocating the exercise. Um, If you don't feel good, listen to those symptoms because Mm. uh, like I said, they become normal for us. Those symptoms are just everyday chatter in our body and we have to not mute that chatter. We have to listen to it because um, I often tell myself, you know, what, what did you feel like before you got diagnosed? Oh, well, this is how I feel right now. Well, it's the same chatter. It's the same voice inside coming up mm-hmm. um, and having that positive mindset and just keeping that communication open with yourself and trusting your own instinct is so, so important. So mm-hmm. thank you again, for reminding us of all those important things, because um, not only was your story important to share, but um, we, we all need those reminders. So thank you very much. So So Michelle, again, thank you again for sharing with us in the pickle jar. And if anyone would like to share their story like Michelle did today with us, please send me an email at thepicklejar at rogers.com. And until next time, please be well, my pickles.